In our first reading from the prophet Isaiah, we come across a rather disturbing image, a suffering Messiah. By Jesus' time, the Jewish people, after centuries of persecution and occupation by foreign countries, believed that the Messiah was going to be a warrior king, a great political leader who would definitively destroy the Gentiles and then restore the throne of David. In Mark's gospel, however, Jesus tells us the kind of Messiah that he's going to be. And it didn't sit well with Peter at all. Now I need, however, to digress a little bit here. Mark was not an eyewitness to Jesus' teachings or miracles. His gospel is based on the memoirs of his mentor, the Apostle Peter. Scholars suggest that Peter was under arrest in Rome, awaiting his execution, and Mark was with him. The style of Greek that Mark writes in gives the impression that Mark was hurriedly trying to record and collate and then put into order all the information that Peter was giving him in the limited amount of time that they had together. And one of the characteristics of Mark's gospel is a negative, very negative portrayal of the disciples. But remember, it's all really coming from whom? Peter. Is Peter's way of telling to every generation of the church, look, we who were with the Lord for three years deserted him, misunderstood him, jockeyed for power among ourselves. I tried to manipulate him. I even denied him three times. We know what failures we were. Learn from us. And Peter offers the church his insights, his experiences of failure, and mercy honed over nearly 30 years in reflection and ministry since the Lord's resurrection and ascension into heaven. And we see today one of Peter's colossal failures. What compelled Peter who had the grace to admit that Jesus is the Christ and proclaim it, to now suddenly dare to turn around, take Jesus off to the side, and rebuke him. Could it be that Peter did not want his Jesus to suffer? Perhaps. Could it be that Peter, like so many of the Jewish people of his day, simply assumed that the Messiah was to be a great political leader, a warrior, Possibly. Could it be that Peter instinctively understood that if his Messiah, his Christ, his God, was to suffer and die, then Peter and anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus must accept suffering and death in his or her life as the price of discipleship? I suspect that was Peter's real motive. Now notice how Peter told Mark 
how Jesus responded to Peter's rebuke. Peter hid nothing back. Nothing. Now, Jesus didn't sugarcoat the truth. He never does. He didn't pull his punches. He never does. He was dealing with Peter, who was blunt, direct, and let's be frank, often dense. And so Jesus used a sledgehammer on Peter. And he said to Peter, and he says to us, Get behind me, Satan. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Sometimes the Lord does need to use a sledgehammer on us with the unvarnished truth be stripped of all the lies and the illusions we create for ourselves that if we allow to remain entrenched in our souls will surely drag us into hell. Get behind me, Satan. The word Satan in Hebrew, Satan, means adversary. The painful reality was that Peter, however unintentionally, had chosen to become an adversary of Jesus, therefore an adversary of God, by insisting that his understanding, that Peter's vision is the only right vision. And Peter is hardly alone in this. How often do you and I insist that things would just be so much better so much easier if God would just listen to reason. If he would just go along with our plans. I've had those moments when I've said, Lord, just give me 15 minutes to rule the universe. That's all I need. Just 15 minutes and watch how good it turns out. The arrogance of fallen creatures who swallow the illusion that we are gods. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. What a terrifying rebuke, but also a blessing. You know, Jesus never rebukes without also giving a blessing. Now, Peter had just responded to the mystery of grace to confess Jesus as the Christ. But as so often happens with us fallen creatures, we allow our limited understanding, our puny perceptions, our assumptions to take over, and we infect the truth. Jesus made it clear. He came to suffer, die, and rise again. And in refusing to accept this truth, Peter was refusing the grace to think as God desires and empowers Peter to do. And you and I are given the same grace. But we are just as vulnerable as Peter to the same tragedy if we do not stay rooted in the gospel. You know... We can so easily allow our myths, our sentiments, our opinions to be substitutes for the truth taught to us by Christ through his church, and the consequences are inevitably tragic. We succeed in molding God into our image, forgetting it is he 
who molds us in his. We assert error as truth. We teach error as truth to others. And my friends, we will never escape the responsibility in this life or in the next for the damage that error does to souls. We are graced to live and work in this world to transform it into what God wants it to be and to preserve the unity of his church, the community of the faithful. But more often than not, the fallen aspect of our nature, that hidden and frustrated God within, entices us to a sick self-destruction that maniacally slices away at that unity, which delights only the demon. We are graced by our union with Christ and his body, the church, to think like God with an amazing dignity. But I wonder if deep down we are afraid of such a blessing, the responsibilities that it brings, and the requirement to surrender to truth over which we have no control at all. It is, after all, so much easier, so much more pleasant to have things the way we want them. What does it mean to think like God? Jesus tells us, deny oneself, take up one's cross and follow him. Deny the falsehoods that clamor within us and allow the grace of faith to conform our lives to the truth. So oftentimes we fight the useless battle of trying to get God to conform to what we think the truth is when all the time God is asking us to accept the grace to conform us to his truth. To take up our suffering, whatever form it assumes, and know that when you and I offer that suffering to God as a gift, he can and he will transform it for our good and the good of others. Follow Jesus, meaning engage in spiritual battle. Not alone, never alone. We're dead meat, but always in the community of the faithful, the church. That battle is often a steep climb. Most times it's messy and dirty loads and loads of failures, peppered with all kinds of obstacles that seem insurmountable to our fallen condition. And if it all seems daunting, remember, Peter ultimately succeeded. And if he was the rock of the church, could experience humiliating failures, but still ultimately respond to the grace to be the disciple the Lord called him to be, let us be comforted from knowing that same grace is offered to each and every one of us when we fail. Christ's love is infinitely stronger than any failure or any combination of failures. In the fourth century, St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo in North Africa, 
preach to his people on this gospel text. This is what he said that Sunday morning. How hard and painful does this appear. The Lord required that whoever will come after him must deny himself. But what he commands is neither hard nor painful when he himself helps us in such a way so that the very thing he requires may be accomplished. For whatever seems hard in what is required, love makes easy.